This is a, our final Sunday for our series, The Art of Neighboring. And as we begin this morning, I want to start with a question. Have you, have you ever heard the phrase, what we need is a miracle? Have you ever heard this? We need a miracle. Maybe it was in response to a health emergency. Maybe uh, someone was struggling with a disease. Maybe someone was struggling with an illness. Uh, they were on the brink of death, and the doctor comes out. Maybe it was your family member, a friend of yours, and as, as, as they come out, they say, we need a miracle. You know, maybe we get to the end, there's, there's a struggle, and maybe, maybe it was a, a crisis. Maybe something just uh, came up all of a sudden very acutely, and, and it caused your health to be in a in a very scary place, and what you needed at that moment was a miracle. Maybe, maybe it was financial. Maybe it was a financial miracle. Maybe I need a financial miracle. Maybe you've had too much month at the end of the money too many times, and it left your financial house standing on shaky ground. And you, you, you're there, and you got your, your bills in hand, and you got you know, uh, other uh, things that you need to, to take care of, uh, other necessities, and you're like, man, we need a miracle to make these ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to fulfill all my obligations. I'm not, going to, I'm not sure how all this is going to work itself out. What I need, what I need is a miracle. You're not sure where, uh, sometimes in those moments, we're not sure where the help is coming from, but all we know is that we need some help. And the thing about miracles is you really can't schedule them, right? I mean, if we could schedule them, we'd schedule them every day, right? We'd say, hey, I want my miracle to arrive by October 15th at 3 p.m., kind of like Amazon, right? You know, can we order a miracle on Amazon? And when Amazon starts figuring that out, man, they will really go gangbusters, right? And so, I mean, but we can't. If we, if we ordered a miracle every day, it would probably cease to be miraculous, right? It'd become ordinary, become commonplace. We'd expect it. It'd be routine. And as you read through the Gospels, the miracles of Jesus, they they, they they're anything but routine. They're anything but ordinary. I mean, you have like this, this difficult situation, this emergency kind of situation, then Jesus shows up just in the nick of time, right? One of my college professors, he, he was famous for saying that God is never late, but he's rarely early. God is never late, but he's rarely early. And, and as, as we read through the Gospels, we see this happen time after time. We see, you know, Mary doesn't come to Jesus at the beginning of the wedding and say, Jesus, you know, they didn't order enough wine for the wedding. Just be on standby. At some point, they're going to need you to show up with more wine. No, she waits until like, they're at the very bottom, and they're like, Jesus, we need some wine, because this is going to embarrass my friend at their wedding. And she looks at the servants and says, hey, do whatever he says, right? Then you have Mary and Martha. They don't contact Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, Lazarus, you're the, the, guy, one of, your, one of your best buds, he's got the sniffles. Can you come and help him out? No, 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 no. They wait till he is on his deathbed and they say, Jesus, the one that you love is dying. And then what does Jesus do? He waits four days. And then he shows up late after he's already dead, right? And the disciples and Jesus are in a boat in the middle of Sea of Galilee, the, 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 this big storm comes up, and the disciples don't, you know, Jesus is back sleeping, he's taking this nap, and the disciples don't go, oh, the wind's starting to pick up. The waves are getting a little, you know, a little rough. Maybe we should wake Jesus. No, they wait till the boat's about ready to capsize. Jesus, how are you still asleep? Wake up. Save us. We're going to die. I'm sure that's how they said it. And so <laughs> if you've ever been in a boat and it's about to jump up, and, and you know, Jesus could have shown up sooner, right? 
I mean, you read some of these, Jesus could have shown up before Lazarus died. He knew about it. He could have gotten there in plenty of time. Jesus could have shown up. He could have done all these things before the emergency rose. But what we see time and time again is that Jesus doesn't necessarily show up early. But he always shows up right on time, just in the nick of time to reveal God's glory to us. Do you know someone today who could use a miracle? Do you know someone today who feels like the world is spiraling out of control? Things in the world have gone from bad to worse. Maybe you've noticed yourself. Maybe as you look out, maybe as you read the paper, you read the news, you see your news feed, you see that our world, our country, our, our city, our county, things are just going spiraling. That There's this chaos upon chaos upon chaos. And sometimes it feels like everything is falling apart. And when we get into chaos mode, sometimes it's hard to pull us out of it unless we have a miracle. See, sometimes our world gets thrown apart, thrown into flux because of emergencies in other people's lives. Your life could be going fine, but sometimes an emergency in someone else's life is just enough, can shake you just enough to throw your life off its moorings. You could be going steady and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's an emergency in your life. Maybe it's someone close to you. Maybe it's someone at work. And all of a sudden the balance and the, 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 the good stuff you've got going on, the good momentum you've got going on gets broken because of someone else's emergency. And that's where we find Jesus and his disciples today. If you would, turn your Bible to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right there in front of you. You can uh, feel free to open that up. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that Bible home with you as as our gift to you, that you can have uh, the scriptures in your house. And uh, as we turn there, uh, you can catch up where we are in the life and times of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, uh, uh, Jesus just sent his disciples out on a missionary journey. He sent them out to, to, to begin to practice doing the ministry that he's taught them to do. And, and while they've been gone, and they get back together, they hear that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his forerunner in ministry, has been killed by Herod. And many of Jesus' disciples were disciples of John's before they became disciples of Jesus. And so their world is just rocked because this good friend of theirs, this, this, this close co-worker of theirs, is now dead and has been killed by Herod. And their world feels out of control because of the news of the death of, G, uh, of John. And so Jesus gets his guys together. He gets them in a boat and says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's get away. We need to recoup a little bit. We need to rest. We need some solitude. We need some space to mourn. We need some, some, spray, some space to process this. Some time just to step away uh, after this busy season of ministry. They're, they're running on fumes and they need rest. So Jesus says, hey, come away with me. Let's go to the other side of the lake. And this is what John writes for us. He says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the, uh, to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was also called the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? for these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here is a boy. He's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the the people sit down. 
There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. There was about 5,000 of them, and Jesus then took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I mean, there is no rest for the weary. There's so much for getting away for some rest and for some solitude. Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. And as we begin to piece this together, because uh, 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 outside of the, the events of the last week of Jesus' life, this is the only other event that we find in all four Gospels. And so we can begin to piece together what happened on this day. And so they, they hear this news about John. They get in the boat and they go to the other side. And as the people see Jesus get in the boat and begin to go across the lake, they start going around the lake on foot. And some of them beat Jesus to the other side. As Jesus begins to land, people are already there. And he begins to, he gets there and he goes up on the hillside and more people begin to show up. They show up because Jesus is taking care of their needs over here and he's taking care of their needs over here. And they bring their concerns. They bring their chaos. They are all in need of a miracle. And they know that Jesus can solve it. The crowds come with their problems, their own sicknesses, their diseases, their troubles. Their world is in chaos and they see Jesus as the solution. So they raced around the lake. They, 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 they beat Jesus there because they need to be in front of Jesus. And all throughout the day, the crowd just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And he's there teaching. He's there healing. People, some people were faster than others. And so all throughout the day, the crowd just keeps getting larger and larger. Eventually, we find out that there are 5,000 men. And then if you, when you look at some of the other accounts, they, they didn't count the women and children. So you could have 10, 15, 20,000 people. This is a sizable crowd. And Jesus looks out, he sees them. It's getting late in the day. People are starting to get hungry. And Jesus looks at Philip. He says, hey, Philip, uh, we need to buy some bread so these people can eat. Now, Philip, Philip must have been pretty good at math because he quickly does the math. And he says, you know what, Jesus? Not even a half year's wages will buy enough for everyone to have a bite. For, I mean, I mean not, we're not talking about getting full. We're talking about even having a bite, just a taste of bread. We don't have that kind of cash. We don't have that kind of money. We don't have those sorts of resources, Jesus. And Philip looked, and he's presented with this problem, and his answer was hopeless. It was hopelessness. It's like, Jesus, we're going to need a miracle. Andrew, at the same time, had been out scouting the crowd, and, and, and he, he finds this young boy, this young boy who had, had, a, had a sack lunch with him, had five loaves of bread and two small fish, and, and Philip, Andrew brings him, he says, well, well, we don't may not have the money, but we got some food, but it's just some loaves and some fish, and how far would that go among so many? We don't have money. We're left hopeless. We got some food, but not nearly enough Hopeless. See, that's how our world is. When we try to solve our problems by our own means, we're often left hopeless. We often left, feel like we have don't have power because in our life because that's what sin does to us. It keeps our hearts from working right. Our sin spiritually sabotages our life and it leaves us spiritually bankrupt and feeling empty inside. And just like these crowds. 
They so longed for a miracle. They so had this need deep in their life that they raced around the lake to beat Jesus to the other side, to meet him there. See, sin drives us away from God, our source of true spiritual satisfaction. And when we live like this, sin continues to drain us, to drain us more and more. And we try to fulfill our own desires and drives and dreams on our own. When we keep going back to that, well, it just leaves us thirstier. It keeps leaving us hungry. It never fully satisfies. Because sin always destroys. See the crowd? The crowd's looking for a miracle. They needed some hope. Their world was broken. It was turned upside down, and they were looking for hope. They're looking for something, so they race around. They come over there, and they find Jesus. And like us, they need more than just their bills paid and their bellies filled and a little more cash in their pocket. This crowd was looking for some hope, and so they chase around Jesus, and as he's trying to get away for some rest and some solitude, they know, they know that what they need in their life is the supernatural provision of God. Like I said, outside of the last week of Jesus, this this is the only event that happens in all four Gospels. In each four of the Gospels, we get to see just a little bit of a different glimpse of Jesus. When you read Mark's account, Mark highlights the compassion of Jesus. When you read Matthew's account, Matthew uh, 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 contrasts this feast on the hillside with the drunken banquet of Herod that caused John the Baptist to be beheaded. And here in John, here in John, we get to see that John speaks, he highlights Jesus' power over the inanimate and his provision for our physical and spiritual needs. But no matter whose account you read, Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the centerpiece. When we find ourselves in a world of chaos, when we find ourselves looking for a miracle, he is the only one who can deliver. And so at the end of the day, they bring Jesus all they can find. Five loaves and two fish. And Jesus takes them, he says, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. Matthew tells us that he tells the disciples, bring bring them here to me. Bring the bread, bring the fish to me. John tells us, uh, when, as Jesus was talking to Philip, that he, as he asked Philip, he asked him to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Sometimes you wonder, when did Jesus have this? Did, did he wake up this morning? He goes, okay, we're going to go across the sea and a bunch of people are going to show up there and, and then I'm going to feed all these people at the small boys' lunch. Or did, did all of a sudden he have this idea as the people showed up? I, I, we don't know when Jesus, this plan came into Jesus' mind, but Jesus already knew what was going to happen at the end before, before they even found the food. Yeah, I'm going to feed this crowd with a few loaves and some fish and have the people sit down because it's time to eat. And Jesus takes the loaves and he probably would stand and he gave thanks and he would break them and he would pass them out. And this is uh, part of Jewish culture that if you had people over to your house, if you were hosting a banquet, whoever the male head of the household was of the place where the, this banquet, this gathering was, would, would begin the meal with a, a, a prayer and they would hold up the bread and they would give thanks 
And they maybe would quote one of the, there, there, there were several recited prayers that they would often do during a mealtime like this, and they would thank God for his blessing. They'd break the bread and they'd pass it out. So Jesus gives the bread and the fish to his disciples, and they begin to pass them out. And as, as they go, they, they, don't, they don't have just a little. They, they have plenty. They have more than enough. I mean, they, they don't say, I'm sorry, we ran out of the fish. Would you, would you want the chicken? You know, they didn't have to say, you know, they'd say, hey, I'm sorry, we ran out of the good bread, so we've got this day-old bread. They didn't run out of anything. In fact, they handed out enough that everyone had had, was able to eat all that they wanted. All that they wanted. Kind of like our meal last night. Uh, at the, at the, you know, m- m- many of the sides were gone through, but if, if you left hungry, we still had plenty of burgers and dogs that you could have eaten. There's still plenty of food. And they, they, there was, in fact, there was so that there were that there were leftovers. There were leftovers. And Jesus didn't just provide; He overprovided for the situation. They all had enough. No one had to leave hungry. There were no empty bellies. They all got their fill. See, Philip. Philip's solution was money. He began to count, maybe he was talking to Judas, the, the treasurer of the group, and saying, hey, how much money do we have? Do we have enough money to go buy bread? I mean, because they, no, they were out in the middle of nowhere, okay? There wasn't a Martin's nearby or a Weiss. They, they, there wasn't McDonald's. They couldn't call and order pizza. They were in the middle of nowhere, and they're like, maybe we can go get some bread somewhere. Count up the money. We, we can't get anywhere and get bread fast enough and get back. It's, it's not going to work. Philip's solution was hopeless. Andrew he, he thinks he finds a solution in a small boy's lunch, but how, how many people could eat off of these small loaves and small fish? They felt hopeless. But in Jesus, they find the solution that truly satisfies. They all ate until they were satisfied, like Thanksgiving full, like can't eat another bite full. See, Jesus doesn't just tide us over. He satisfies us completely. See, here's the good news. Here's where the gospel comes in, that on our own, we can't do it by ourselves. Over this last month, if we've talked about the art of neighboring and loving our neighbors as ourselves, the truth is we can never love our neighbor the way that they need to be loved. Because if we do so, at some point, our pride will get in the way. At some point, we'll think, man, they are lucky to have a friend like me. Maybe at some point, you'll begin to resent helping them. And you go, you what? They always come to me for help. I, they're never there when I need help. Maybe they should go figure out how to do all this. Maybe they should figure it out on their own. They should go and do this. So maybe we begin to resent them. Maybe they think that we're, they're using us or, or that they should think that we're something special. But on our own, we can never be the miracle that those around us need. We were never meant to be their savior. Because if they put all their hope and all their trust in us, we will only leave them hopeless. But what Jesus says in this miracle is that I am the one who fills, and I am the one who satisfies, that I am the one you need most. See, God is the ultimate giver, that sin has left us desperately in need, that we can't earn or deserve God's love. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it because he already gave it to us through Jesus on the cross. See, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That God gave us his love through Jesus so that we could receive his life through faith in him. See, there's more to the story. 
There's more to the story. Jesus is there. He fed everyone. And all of a sudden, I said, there are leftovers. There are so many leftovers. There are 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Who here likes leftovers? I love me some leftovers. In fact, if we have leftovers from dinner, I know what I'm having for lunch the next day unless my daughter gets to them first. <laughs> Calling her out in public right now. There are left, this boy brought five loaves and two fish. We're talking a sack lunch. And there are 12 basketfuls of leftovers. See, Jesus doesn't just satisfy. He doesn't just come through. He doesn't just provide. He over provides. He's not just enough. He's more than enough. See, our provision is his priority. Our provision is his priority. God wants to so take care of us that he sent his son, Jesus, to show us his love in a practical, practical, tangible way. And when he arrives on the scene, Jesus doesn't just do the mundane. He doesn't just do the, the ordinary. He does the extraordinary. He does the supernatural. He does what is least expected. People are worried, how are we going to eat? No one thought Jesus is going to take this boy's lunch and feed everybody. See, as we read through the story, we might want to make Andrew the hero. Man, we are so glad that Andrew was with us this day because he found this young boy who had some food. Man, Andrew, gold star, right? Or maybe we want to make the boy the story, the, the, the star of the show. Man, son, we are so glad. We are so glad that you gave us your food, this lunch that your mom had made, that you gave it to Jesus. Sometimes we want to make the boy the hero. But it wasn't Andrew, it wasn't the boy. Jesus is the hero of the story because Philip wanted to buy bread. They didn't have enough money. Andrew found this boy with his lunch, but that lunch would not go far enough. What they needed was they needed Jesus. And Jesus is the hero because he takes what little we have to offer and he turns it into more than enough for everyone. You know what God does? He invites us to participate in his miraculous provision. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do even before he asked Philip the question. Even before he invited Andrew to help. See, God invites us to be the miracle in other people's lives. God invites us to be the miracle in the lives of those around us. That we get to take God's provision of love. That we get to take God's provision of grace to them. And they may be thirsty like the people on the hillside, uh, like, the, like the woman at the well. They may be hungry like these people on the hillside this day. But in both situations, Jesus is the answer. God very well might, might use us to help them find what they need. But notice, it's not our work. See, the, the disciples didn't come up with a plan and then work the plan and then everybody gets fed. That's not how it went. Because all the disciples' plans ended in hopelessness. But what they did, they took what little they had, and they brought it to Jesus, and something miraculous happened. See, what we need for the crowds can only be found in Jesus. This last spring, we happened to look at this very same story from, from, from Matthew's point of view. And as we were looking through and as we were studying, as we were talking about it, what we said, what we came down to, we said that the whole story boiled down to this one sentence. What we need for them, we get from him. What we need for them, 
we get from him. We don't find it in ourselves. It's not our own goodness, our own abilities, our own intelligence, our own talents. What we need for those around us, we can only get from Jesus. We can only get from God. What we need for them, we get from him. But what the boy did on this day ought to set an example for us all. That he gave even what little he had to be used by God. See, our willingness to obey, our willingness to, uh, to obey is a key part to experience the miraculous provision of God. Philip and Andrew didn't know what part they were going to play in this scene. All they knew, they, they, they didn't know how it was all going to play out. They still thought they were hopeless. Don't have enough money. Don't have enough food. The boy, he didn't know how it was going to play out. I give Jesus this, my lunch. Sure do hope I'm going to get something to eat. But they brought their stuff to Jesus. They brought the plan to Jesus. They went back to Jesus, and Jesus made it more than enough. We may not always get to see the end. We may not even know what the end looks like, but if we obey first, we just might see God do something miraculous through us. See, when the boy gave, he didn't hold anything back. It's not like he looked in the bag and went, well, I better hold on to a loaf and a fish for me. Give them the rest. No, he gave everything. He gave everything he had. He held nothing back. He gave with generosity. And when we partner with God, he invites us to join in his generosity. To join in his generosity. We serve a generous God and he invites us. He calls us to be generous with him. That God as a God is a, a giver. And that those who follow him experience the miracle of provision and we're compelled to be generous because of the generosity we have experienced. No matter how much God calls us to give, this truth still remains that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. No how much time you've given, no matter how much money you've given, how many possessions you've sold, given away, you to, to, to use to, to, to finance and provide ministry. No matter how much you've given, we could take all that we've given individually and collect that all together and collect that all together with all the churches from all around the world. And guess what? God has still given us more. You can't outgive God. As we look at the story today, there, there, are, there are some characters that maybe we might be able to identify with. As we begin to think about how, do we, can, how can we take this message and take it with us, give it some feet, give it some handles that we can take with us throughout this week. I, I think there are some three characters that maybe we can identify with at least one of them. That we can take one of these with us and go, that, that's the role I play in providing and being the miracle to someone around me. And the first person, well, we don't really see her, but we know she's there, Right? I mean, I mean, it's the boy's mom, right? Because this boy didn't just wake up on this day and go, you know what, I'm going to go out hunting for Jesus and I better take some lunch with me. No, no, no. His mom, his mom is a lunch packer. You have some lunch packers in your life, those who are around you, who, who their job, their role is to, to, to give you all the tools you need, everything that you need in your life to be able to live your best life, right? My, my wife, SK, is a lunch packer. My mom is a lunch packer. They, they give of themselves so that others can receive the benefit in life. 
so that others can grow, that others can be used by God, that others <clears throat> can experience the blessing of God in their life. And this mom, she wakes up and she says, oh, my, my boy's going to go out. Here, you better take some food with you. Here's some bread. Here's some fish. You know, have a good day. Come back. We'll have dinner waiting for you. She had no clue that this lunch that she made for her son on this day was going to feed a multitude. Now, if she knew, she would have sent more food, right? She'd be like, oh, you're going to be out there with like 20,000 of your closest friends? Here, take more food with you. But she's like, hey, he's going to go out. He's, he needs a little something on the way. He's going to need, here's a little something. But never in a million years would she have guessed that so many people have been fed with so little. Maybe you have some lunch packers in your life. People who are willing to give of themselves to make sure that you're prepared. Maybe that's your role. Maybe you're, my, I, I, I'm a lunch packer. I help others, set others up so that they can succeed. The second character we see is the young boy. We see the young boy, and we'll, we're going to call him the senseless giver. Because it made no sense for him to give up his lunch for everybody else, right? I'm, I'm sure by the end of the day, he's hungry, and he's thinking... I kind of like these fish sandwiches. I can kind of eat these fish sandwiches by myself. And if he's a teenage boy, those fish sandwiches are probably not enough, right? And so, and so he's looking, but guess what? He sees the need and he gives radically. He gives generously. He gives everything so others can be fed. Do you have someone in your life? Who, do you know of someone? who they will just do <clears throat> the craziest thing, <clears throat> who will give radically, who will give sacrificially, who will give uh, uh, abundantly, generously for, for, for a cause, for a need, for, for the church, for Jesus. Whatever it might be, if someone needs something, they hey, here, take it. It's yours. And they'll give senselessly. They'll give, and that's what the, what the boy does. He's like, he could have held that onto, onto that to himself because that was his lunch. It was his food. But he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus turns it into so much more. He gives without concern. He is a senseless giver. And then there are the disciples. There are people who are called to distribute God's grace. The young boy doesn't hand out the food. They don't call people out of the crowd to hand out the food. Jesus gathers his disciples, and and he he says, here's the food to pass out to others. And what we're going to call them is we're going to call them the hands and feet of Jesus. They're not the lunch package necessarily. They're not the senseless givers. Maybe they're just the ones who find themselves in the right place at the right time, who meet those in need, who distribute God's grace and God's miracles to those who are there. While God isn't present, while God is present everywhere, He often chooses to use human vessels to accomplish His work. And sometimes we may not be even aware that it's going on. We may not be aware of how significant our actions are. And I think, I think God prefers it that way. Because I think if we thought that we were important, that God somehow needed us, it would cause us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And so sometimes we don't know that that word of encouragement was just what that person needed in just the nick of time because things were about ready to go completely off the rails. Or maybe that gift, that dinner, that thing that we did for that person that was really insignificant for us, it was just a small thing, we did no problem. But we met them in a place where 
They truly need to see and hear and know and experience God. And maybe your meal, your flowers, your cup of coffee that you bought for that friend, that person, was just what they needed. See, God calls us all to obey, to play our part, to do, to just be us. And in so doing, oftentimes we get to be the miracle in someone else's life. Not because we're great. Not because we need to be made something of, but because he is great who's at work in and through us. That when we give, God prospers and he blesses it. It's true, even though it sounds trite and kind of, uh, kind of cliche, we are truly blessed to be a blessing. We are not blessed to hoard God's blessings. We we have to hoard and hold on to God's favor in our life, but we're to pass it on to others so they can know of God's love. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like if we all became the miracle in the lives of our neighbors, in our community, if we became the miracle that our city needed, what would it look like if we all truly loved our neighbors as ourselves? If we became a lunch packer for someone, setting them up to succeed, if we, were, if we gave senselessly, give sacrificially that others might be blessed, that God might use our gift for his glory, that we all became the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we went, that others might experience the miracle God wants in their life. What would it look like? It might look, it might just be that we see God show up. We might see God do something miraculous in our life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Father, you show up in miraculous ways, in vastly different ways. And Father, we long for you to show up early and just save us from the emergency, but Father, you often wait and show up in just in the nick of time. You show up when we need you, how we need you, where we need you, with just what we need. It may not be what we uh, imagine we need or think that we need, but it's what we most need, and you know. So, Father, I pray that you continue to do your work in us and through us. That, Father, you might use us to be the miracle in the world around us. Father, we, we look around, and there are so many in our communities, so many in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and our workplaces that are, are hurting and are broken. And Father, what they need is a touch from you. They need to experience you. They need to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that we can bring you all that we have so you can be more than enough through us to save those who are around us. They may witness and experience God in their life, in their place. Father, we think you were the miracle for us. You sent your son to die for us give his life that we might be ransomed that we might our sin might be 
bought and paid for, that we might be able to experience eternal life forever with you. Father, we thank you for your grace and the love that is only experienced through faith in Jesus. Father, might we be a conduit of that grace. Might we share that grace. May we pass it on to others as we go on our way this week. Father, help us to be your hands, to be your feet, that we would see the world with your eyes. We love the world with your heart. Father, you are so good to us. May we share that goodness with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.